it's emotional and it's saddening. Um, it's disappointing, all the things we've said already. Um, but, you know, like, it, mine is a story of a migrant family, you know, who came here in 1960. And we're glad, you know, that mum and dad came here and had us here because it, it is one of my favourite cities on earth. Um, to see it like that, uh, it's, 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 it's emotional and it makes you very, very sad. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to one of the legends of the Melbourne food industry. His name is Guy Grossi. And before we got on this call to do the podcast, I was chatting to Guy about Cellar Bar, one of the many restaurants that he owns in Melbourne. I'm writing about Cellar Bar for this weekend's paper because it is one of my favourite places in town. It's somewhere that I really hankered to go to when Melbourne came out of lockdowns one, two and three. And I'm definitely going back there when we come out of lockdown number four. Guy, I just loved talking to you about bolognese and tiramisu and beautiful food things. But unfortunately, there is a lot more on our minds at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this lockdown uh, for fourth time is um, a bit of a tragedy, really, because you know we've got um, we've got um, full rents we're paying plus deferred rent. There's no job keeper, um, and just the uncertainty of how long this is going to go for, um, especially the people that work in the businesses that are at home, not knowing um, what's going to happen next, uh, and you know they're asking questions, but we just don't have the answers to give to them. So. Obviously, Danny, it's a, it's it's a, something that goes deep into our community. It's not just restaurants; it's all sorts of businesses. And you know, think about you know suppliers, you know all the great winemakers, um, the farmers. Uh, this go affects everybody in the community. Yeah, it really does. And I feel like you know we thought that perhaps these lockdowns were behind us what was it like for you sort of seeing those cases in the community i mean did you think we'd be able to dodge it this time or did you feel it coming well i felt that there was issues it made me sad to see it happening um i i just need to get my head around this whole contact tracing thing and being able to manage it because i think moving forward we need to be able to open with confidence and have the continuity you know we can't have this stop start economy going on forever um and i i sort of when the cases started growing i did I did was concerned. I did see it coming at that point, but I guess everybody did at that stage. Um, it just kind of got out of control uh, so so quickly. And the great shame of it is is what we were saying before, Danny, is that you know the momentum was building so well in Melbourne, and people just getting out, and enjoying themselves, and doing what they do best. You know, um, socialising and seeing the city come back to life, and and the suburbs as well. It's not just the city. Um, it was it was just so um, uplifting, and I was quietly confident that we were like through the worst of it and we're starting to rebuild um and um you know business was was getting stronger and stronger um and especially as we were due to lift all our um restrictions on how many on capacities and all of that it almost coincided perfectly to the day you know where we got closed down again which is just uh it just feels you know um really disappointing and and, you know upsetting Yeah, it is so upsetting and there's so many aspects to it. I mean, for yourself, Guy, like, you know, you're you're in it like everybody is living in a city that's locked down. You're also, it's a family business. So there's people that, you know, are very close to you that are, you know, very affected by 
the, the, the family business, the impacts on the family businesses. Um, but of course, you're, that means that you guys are also employers. I mean, how do you sort of juggle all the many things that you must be feeling? You know, what, what do you make your priority? Well, the priority is, uh, well, I, for myself personally, I like to keep really busy. So I just find um, things to do, um, you know, menu planning, those sorts of things. But there's also the business side of things to manage, um, like the financial stress of all of this, um, where, where I guess I'm really lucky. Um, we've, I've got a lot of family that work together in the business and we're very close. Um, so we support each other quite a lot. Um, we, uh, we spend a lot of time, like Liz, my sister, spends a lot of time calling our team and making sure she keeps in touch with them. Um, I think that side of things is really important to keep in touch with them and assure them that, you know, we're still there for them and we're there, they can reach out to us at any time. I think we need to manage that really closely. Um, You know, I like to call my suppliers, um, especially the ones that I owe a fair bit of money to and we've just got shut down and talk to them about that situation and how we're going to work our way through that situation once we do reopen. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts to this it's not just as simple as you know you you turn the key lock the door walk away and then you know come back seven days later or or 14 days later or 30 days later we we still don't know where this is going to go and where this is going to end so that's almost um the worst part of the whole thing is that not knowing when this is going to end um you know there's also the other side that breaks your heart is the wastage of food you know when you see food being deteriorating and getting wasted um you know, we've had to clean up and pack down and get rid of a lot of things already. But, you know, seven days is one thing. But then, you know, there's things that are going to move beyond shelf life once that's that seven days um, goes beyond that. So, yeah, as I say, there's many moving parts and there's lots of people that are suffering. And it's not just the financial side of it. This is what we've got to get our heads around. It's, it's also a really emotional thing for many people. And I think we're all feeling those emotions and, and dealing with all the practical aspects from a position of depletion. Um, everybody's stores of energy are a, a, a bit run down, aren't they? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's fatigue. It's fatigue. It's lockdown fatigue. Um, and I, I really worry about, like, I, I'm lucky. I consider myself still lucky because I do have a lot of family support around me. But my heart goes out to those operators that are, operating on their own the smaller operators that you know may not come back from this there's there's a there's lots that haven't come back from lockdown one or lockdown two and lockdown three but what about um all these poor people that are in that position again now and just exhausted to get back up and running again the the you know the financial burden behind it all and um and just that the motivation like um you know the it's just it's just an exhausting exercise to go through you know pack everything down lock everything up throw away the food and then start again when do you order the products when do you start restocking we just don't know so what actually are you doing because i mean some people said this time around you know for a seven-day lockdown it's not worth doing takeaway of course we don't exactly know if it is going to be seven days and what it is going to be and how do you sort of process that uncertainty and then decide what action to take well, the, I guess it's a bit of wait and see, and we hoping hope for the best. We're talking to, you know, as I say, all of our people. We're still doing Grossi Casa because that never got disrupted. We kept that going once we 
um, developed that through lockdown one. We just kept it going all the way through, even whilst we were open at the restaurant. So that's still been going along very well for us. So that it's lucky that we have that and we can send some people to help, um, you know, with Grossia Casa from the team um, and some extra people to help out there because it's gone very busy now that everything's locked down again. Um, so we're concentrating on that, but then we also have to concentrate on the um, – on the uh, you know fact that we really need to get open as swiftly as we possibly can, and once we can put you know a peg in the in the dirt, so to say, so that we know you know when this is going to end, then we can start to go into action and basically start to restock and get in and clean everything out and just start again. That's a lot, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> it's just a lot. It is. It's a. <laughs> It's a huge, um, it's a huge deal to to get through. Um, but but you know, as I say, I still think you know we we I'm I'm in a lucky position in that sense that I have got that support. Um, there's a lot of other people that are not as fortunate as that. But um, we really need to you know um, think about how we manage this into the future, I guess, and um, and also you know think about what sort of um, you know compensation that can be had. I mean, I, I'm a bit disappointed in what the um, Vic Gov government announced as, as um, compensation th thus far. And obviously there's no more, there's no support from federal um, with JobKeeper at the moment. So it is a huge burden on a lot of people and a lot of businesses. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an insupportable burden, really. And I think, no, I don't know if anyone expected that the state government was going to come through with income support. I guess we have, that. that is a federal the federal government's offered that in the past um, and they've got that greater tax base to draw on. But, I mean, I think there's got to be income support. There's, I mean, businesses need it, but people people need it. I mean, we, we know that a lot of people in hospitality and many other industries live from week to week and from paycheck to paycheck. And, um, yeah, you can't just have zero income. Well, that's right. That's right. And and so I, I think that that's something that really needs to be, you know, looked at a lot more closely. Um, because as you say, there are there are people that you know just live week to week, and and that is and that is really hard. In a lot of um, places around the world, I know it's been a big conversation in the US. People have talked about hospitality workers being towards the front of the line for vaccination. Um, do you have a view on that? Uh, well, I think vaccination is important. Obviously, everyone has to do their bit. I'm booked in to go and get mine done very soon, my first jab, um, and I w probably should have acted sooner. But I think it's an important thing that um, I think the whole community needs to be, you know, vaccinated. The quicker we get that done, the better things will be, will be I believe. Um, and I think, um, and I think, you know, hospitality workers are, you know, sort of in contact with a lot of people, especially the front of house workers. Um, with a lot of people every day, so it would make sense, really. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon it would make sense too to open it up to anyone who's got a lot of contact with the public. I think that, um, yeah, taxi drivers and and rideshare drivers should be in, at the front of the queue as well. Um, I think one of the other things that we've seen, one of the other points of vulnerability in our community is the QR code system and making it as easy as possible for the contact tracers to do their jobs. Have you got any, I guess, 
tips to businesses who have been finding it perhaps hard, hard to manage or are there any conversations that you've had to have with customers who are unwilling to check in? I mean, do you see any vulnerability in that area for your businesses or for the community generally? Um, I think with compliance, it's 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 like any any sort of compliance. The best and easiest way to do it is just to have a system in place, a plan, and just to stick to it. Um, it's really it's really it's really hard when things um, don't get done properly all the time because then it becomes a habit. And I think that's the that's the biggest tip I could say is just to make sure that you have a good system in place for it and that it just happens. So you know, simple little things like we and and now. It's, uh, we should all be on the VicGov um, on the VicGov code as well, so it's even simpler. Um, and so, you know, simple little things like just having the QR code on your menu, and you know, when your menu goes down, if somebody's got missed at the door, you know, they should be reminded to please check in. It's just just little prompts, you know, to get people to. Do it. We have had the odd incident where people have been, you know, grumpy about it. But, you know, there's, it's a different world now, so it's just part of life. I think ultimately people will just um, understand that it's something they just have to do and you've just got to keep pushing it because I think that that is one of the most important things is that, you know, every, everybody should be just recording everywhere they walk into because then if we do get a case, then we can go, okay, we know exactly who that person has been in contact with and it's simple as that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's just got to become second nature. It's just got to be embedded in um, every time we sit down to eat that it's just got to be done. Yeah, look, you do it. I did it. I went to Dan Murphy yesterday and I had to do it there and I'm happy to do it because if that's going to help us stay open, then I'm happy to do that. I went When I go to the supermarket, I do it there. Um, it just should be anywhere. It, it just should be anywhere so that you can just know exactly who you've been in contact with and, and at a push of a button, it, the contact tracers can get all that information. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, Guy, I mean... I had my, my the city isn't in my 5k and I don't I'm not a permitted worker so I haven't been into the city but I mean I know the streets are very quiet in my neighborhood I mean what is it like for you to see and feel where Melbourne being back in this space again Oh, it's emotional and it's saddening. Um, it's disappointing, all the things we've said already. Um, but, you know, like it, mine is a story of a migrant family, you know, who came here in 1960. And my dad was a chef, uh, as you probably know, and he was working in restaurants and hotels since that day he landed in the country. In, and he loved this city. Um, and we're glad, you know, that mum and dad came here and had us here because it, it is one of my favourite cities on earth. Um, to see it like that, uh, it's 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 emotional and it makes you very very sad. Mm. And you mentioned that you've been calling some of your suppliers. I mean, tell me what produce was coming through. What were you looking forward to cooking? What's um, sort of on hold at the moment? Uh, we were getting some really really good craze coming through. Um, our, our foragers were out with pine mushrooms right in the middle of the season for pineys. Um, so we were doing a lot of that stuff. We got our beautiful farmer from Union Station out of Warrnambool who had just delivered us a truckload of meat. Um, so yeah, just really nice nice things, you know, great great Aussie beef, great Aussie lamb. 
uh, yeah, and truffles. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, we managed to squeeze in our truffle dinner. It was our, our like our last supper uh, on Thursday night, so that was good that we got that in at least. Um, and the, as you know, the season is just just beginning now, so um, looking forward to doing some really nice truffle dishes. Uh, it's just it sucks. It's just, it does. It does. I, it's, pre- it's pretty. It's pretty shit. I should be used to it, I guess, but I just still have. I'm just still every, like a few times a day. I'm still just like, oh my god, what? Are you serious? Are we really back here again? It's like, surreal, isn't it? It's just hanging surreal. on the press conferences and the numbers, and you know, becoming an, an instant epidemiologist, and you know, just um, uh, it's so just gut-wrenching it is it is it is but we i think the important thing is we just stay positive there's um you know there's the the you know things we have to get through like uh, all that financial stuff and all that horrible stuff that side of it which is you know there's very little uh we can we can do it just have to keep on battling on and fighting and hope that this thing is over really really quick so we can get melbourne swiftly you know, back up to, you know, the beautiful place that it should be. Yeah, I still believe that we can do that. We definitely can. Um, Guy, I know that a lot of people in these times turn to beautiful things like lasagna. So let's finish this conversation by talking about something beautiful, special, comforting and delicious. Tell me about the grossy lasagna. Well, the grossy lasagna started for me when I was a young child because it's the way my mother makes lasagna for us. And um, still today, you know, we try and keep it to the exact same recipe. The grossi casa lasagna and the celibar lasagna is the same. Um, so we start off with beautiful fresh pasta sheets, durum wheat flour, um, fresh eggs uh, and a little salts we make those up and you know, roll those out till they're fine nice and silky um, and then of course the beautiful bolognese which um, we start with our, our sofrito and make sure that's really caramelized and beautiful and tasty then we put in our meat um, I use beef a little bit of chicken a little bit of pork and get that really sauteed off nice and dark and brown so it's nice and rich and Get, develops all that beautiful depth of flavour. Um, tomato paste, our red wine, um, and our water, salt and pepper. We'll put a little nutmeg and clove in there as well uh, and let that cook out really, really super gently, stirring it till it's nice and rich, um, usually a couple of hours it takes. Um, and the bechamel, a beautiful, rich, thick bechamel. And then we put it all together with um, plenty of parmigiano. Usually, I usually use a grana um, for that, grana padana. And, um, and then and uh, once it's all layered up, we put six layers of in a in a in a tray of lasagna. It's quite heavy by the end of it, um, and then bake that off um, in a hot oven about 180 degrees or 170 degrees for about 25 minutes. That's all it takes, and then bring it out. And it's bubbly and steaming, and hopefully you've got some little burnt bits around the outside, which are nice and crunchy, which are delicious. <laughs> Why? What is it about a lasagna that? Makes it such a go-to dish. It's heartwarming. That's what it is. It's heartwarming to make it. Um, I was making a tray with um, with yesterday for Grossi Casa with a couple of the guys, and um, and I just I actually said we were making twenty trays actually, but I said there's something about making lasagna it just makes you feel nice, and eating it's the same thing. It's uh, I mean it's so great for me to hear that you're still in there cooking a lasagna with the guys 
it, when you must have so much on your mind and so much to do, so many um, being pulled in so many different directions. But is it is it important to you, you know, as the owner of these businesses that you do still, you know, have your hands in it and you're still like in love with the produce and the food? It is for me. Um, if I didn't have that out, outlet, you know, during times like this, I'd be I'd be mad. Um, and I also think the guys really appreciate the fact that you know um, there's the care still there, and you're still involved, and you're still, you know, happy to lift the heavy weights as well. And they, I think, they really respect that. So it's it's something that I think I will continue to do for as long as I possibly can. And I just have to pick up one other aspect about the ragu. So I know that, you know, beef or veal and pork is very traditional um, in a Bolognese, but uh, this, this chicken, tell me about that. Well, it's, it's the way my dad taught me to cook it when I was a really young, young lad. And um, so I was just done it that way. And it's our family recipe. It does add um, a certain softness to the sauce as well. And it's hard to describe, but it's almost gives it a bit of moisture. It sounds so good. Um, well, I reckon if anything's going to get me through this, it's that lasagna. Guy, it's really such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, we're all, we are all in this together. We are sick of saying it. Um, and we're also sick of saying we can do this, but I know that we can. Um, and yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing to steer the good ship Melbourne through lockdown number four. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Danny. It's really nice to talk to you. It really is. Likewise. Take care. You too. Ciao. Ciao. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.